actually, as I got older, it was to my advantage because I learned a lot of my skills with my body at the size and shape I am now. So I didn't sort of have to suddenly at the age of 16, 17, when my body changed, have to relearn a lot of the stuff, which I think a lot of gymnasts do. This week, we talk about the rise of the United States Gymnastics Federation and the AAU scandal, a preview of the American Cup, and we chat with Beth Tuttle. Hey Gymnasts, Elite Sports Band is a cutting-edge compression back warmer that can protect your most valued asset, your back. I'm Allison Taylor on behalf of Elite Sports Band. Visit EliteSportsBand.com. We've got your back. This is episode 22 for February 27th, 2013. I'm Jessica from Master Gymnastics. I'm Blythe from the Gymnastics Examiner. Spanny from Spanny's Big Fake Smile. Uncle Tim from Uncle Tim Talks Men's Gym. And this is the best and only gymnastics podcast in the world, starting with the top news stories. Blythe, what's going on this week? All right. Well, this week, everybody is talking about it. It's the American Cup. It is the first big international meet of the year after the Olympics. Games And, you know, there's a lot of shifting going on. Um, as of right now, the men's field is complete. The women's field lacks two gymnasts, according to the official American Cup website. And so, you know, let's just start with the guys. First of all, we have two strong members of the U.S. Olympic team, Danelle Leva and Jake Dalton, a newcomer from Japan in Hiroki Ishikawa, uh, George Hugo Geraldo Lopez from Colombia. He's a two-time Olympian, and he is something, he's in his early 30s, and uh, he's something else. He just keeps pounding out great gymnastics, fabulous on pommel horse, fabulous on parallel bars. Watch him on those two events. Germany's Marcel Nguyen, the Olympic silver medalist, he'll be there. And he was really dominant in the World Cups uh, leading up to the 2013 season. And so it'll be interesting to see if these guys can challenge him. Uh, one who could challenge him is Brazil's Sergio Sasaki. Um, he is still a pretty young guy, although he has a few years of international experience behind him. And it wouldn't be surprising if the Brazilians really look to him as the new leader of their team uh, going into the qua this quad where Brazil, of course, will end up hosting the 2016 Olympics. Uh, Great Britain's Christian Thomas will be there and Ukraine's Oleg Vernaev will be there as hey. well. And both very, very, very <laughs> promising young gymnasts. Who are you guys excited to see? Well, you know how I feel about Oleg. So that's number one. And he's got some amazing skills as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, traditionally, the American Cup has seemed a bit slanted towards the Americans. Um, of course, they're confident they're in their home arena. They're playing to their own crowd. But he is just such an incredible gymnast. And I'm sure he's very hungry for it. He's a young guy. He's got great tradition behind him. Very beautiful gymnastics. And it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if he can just stay clean, if he can just hit his routines. They're very difficult. Uh, I think he could sneak in there and take it. Oh, no, wait. This is the wrong Oleg. Oh, my God. I feel like a... <laughs> no, you, you like Oleg feel... Stepko. That's He's right. He's oh, little dude. I feel like a total pedophile as I just said <laughs> that. Oh, my God. I totally take I it back. I think Oleg Vernayev is older than Oleg Stepko. For what that's <laughs> is he? Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I'll, I'll look it up. I like the beefy one that, like made vault finals at the olympics and rings right yes right. thank you oh, thank no. you that that's not oleg that's not oleg stepko either um that's igor <laughs> that's igor. Igor, igor that's right 
<laughs> Igor, I'm sorry. All those Ukrainians, they're just the oh, same. Yes, I just like those beefy Ukrainians. Okay, anywho. Okay, carry on, carry on. I'm I'm ready to go on now. Okay. So uh go on. Um uh Spanny, anyone you're interested in seeing? I'm interested to see uh how Denal sh- uh shapes out. I know the uh the Winter Cup wasn't his premiere showing, so but he's you know, I think he has it in him. He's got that showmanship quality and when there's money on the line, I think he's going to show up. I don't know yeah. why I said that, but <laughs> that's I mean, what I, think. I I anticipate waking up on Saturday and reaching for the vodka immediately to calm my nerves. I don't know why. I just Danelle makes me so nervous. It's like watching Amanda Borden back in the day on Balance Beam <laughs> or like Maddie Larson nowadays on pretty much anything there just seems to be like this mental block and it's really hard for him to put go six for six and like i don't know i really hope that he's able to do that and i'm i'm excited for marcel i feel like he could actually probably win it i wish that his gymnastics were kind of as slick and stylish as his haircut um it tends to be a little sloppy but uh yeah i look forward to seeing marcel I kind of want to see if he um, uses makeup to cover his tattoo, and if so, if it stays on the whole meat, or if he gets sweaty and it starts to like drizzle, and by the end he has like half a tattoo going on. And I think we talked about this that his two says like pain is temp- temporary, like glories forever, or something like that, right? And um, so I'm looking forward to that, and then I'm looking forward to hearing like a millions of girls screaming their heads off for mm-hmm. him because I think there'll yeah. be more for him than anyone else competing, really. So yeah, that's always yeah. good times. Marcel is the babe magnet. And uh, last year I went to New York for the American cup and I stayed with a friend who doesn't, you know, watch gymnastics or know anything about gymnastics. And uh, I, I treated her to tickets to the meet as a thank you for staying in her apartment. And, uh, and she came with a friend and about halfway through the meet, I, I got a text message and she goes, oh, who is that guy from Germany? He's gorgeous. I'm watching gymnastics at the Olympics because of him. And it was very cool because it was Marcel and Marcel did very well in London. Um, but yes, this is how you, uh, I guess, pull your non-gymnastics friends into, into the sport a bit. That's right. Yeah, and it's kind, of, it's kind of a question of who's going to be sexy Alexi's heir, right? Because is it Marcel Nguyen or is it Jake Dalton? Because I feel like either of them, if they like pull down their singlet a lot, they're going to get a standing ovation at the American Cup. Like... I don't know. Who do you think? Is it Marcel or is it Jake? Neither. <gasps> Who is I, it? No, I, I don't know. I don't think that we've we've seen that person yet. I mean, can you can you think of anybody who has, has the all... universal appeal that Alexi yeah. did? Oh. And you are all forgetting Philip Boy, and I'm ashamed of all of you. But he's Everybody. done. He's done. This girl needs to eat. He's alive. He's still very much fresh in my memory, and I'll have you know it, that he is not retired in my head at all. Visually. He's not retired in your heart. That's right. First place. All right, before we uh, turn into our New Year's show again, (laughs) (laughs) 
What about those women, huh? <laughs> what about the women? Well, you know, right now the women's field is a little bit incomplete. Uh, they have six competitors at the moment, and we know that there is a kind of national team camp slash selection camp taking place uh, perhaps at this moment at the Caroli Ranch in Texas to determine who's going to be that second American woman. And there is actually another spot as well that is up for grabs. It appears that Coco Surumi of Japan has dropped out, although her teammate Asuka Taramoto will be competing. And so I don't know. Who do you guys think? You have two slots open. Who do you want to see? I would really, um, if, if we're going to go with the second or perhaps third, I don't know, the second American spot, I'm gunning for Simone Biles. Yes. Um, Ooh, yeah. Yes. I just, I've been excited about her for a few years now. And if, if we'll go back, if you journey back to 2010, and it was the similar situation where Ivana Hong was supposed to have that second spot. Unfortunately, she busted her knee up at camp. And then it was a, an 11th hour substitution with Allie Raisman. And suffice it to say, she did pretty well throughout the quad. I would like to see it go to someone who is um, like a breakout star who like could really use the performance experience. Um and over the, you know, build up over the next few years. So that's why I'm, I'm gunning, I'm gunning for Biles. I would love to see Simone Biles too, because she is everything. I was totally thinking about her today. And I was like, she's like, um, if you have the performance quality of like, um, Podkopaeva with the explosiveness of Prodinova, um, she's just she's got it and she's so fun to watch and she's such an entertainer and um and she's gonna be a huge star like she's gonna be a world champion one day i'm just saying that right now um and so i would love to see her i also think that hello they should have alternates for this it's not fair to the athletes to be like okay train like crazy and with absolutely no notice now you're gonna go to this huge world cup meet because that's a world cup um i just don't think that's that's fair i think they should have alternates you should know who's going to be picked and I would hate it if I was a coach and I did not have that warning because it's not safe for the athletes to be um, basically competition ready for like three or four months in a row they need to have breaks they need to cycle on and off you know you want to stop the overuse injury so I don't care for this no alternates business personally I want to see them add someone from another country who can be an American and let me explain why. I'm going to get slaughtered for saying this. I don't care. But <laughs> since Tasha Schweikert won in 2002, an American woman has won this meet every year, which obviously brings out the conspiracy theorist in a lot of people. And so I feel like some other country needs to win. And I'm just so over Americans winning this meet. So I'm hoping for the sake of the integrity of this meet, somebody else wins. Like a, a, someone who trains here but is not from here, like Arden. I said uh, an Amer someone a foreigner who could beat an American. Oh, beat! There's a yeah. B, like you know, <laughs> like someone that you, you, you it's an international citizen, citizen of the world. Because, um, I have to mention on that note with Jessica Lopez, it reminded me of not. I don't know why, because they're totally different, but Lori Hernandez, little Lori Hernandez. Ugh. I don't even know if she's at the camps. I think she is right now. She's freaking amazing. Total star. Like, at least if no one's ready to be the next world champion, like if Ohashi's not ready or whatever, send someone out who is going to 
to electrify the crowd, just like the next little, you know, the way Corbett did back in the day, where everyone will be talking about the performance. Like, give us that, you know? That's what I'd like to see. Yeah. It, the, the thing about this year's American Cup is it's got to be a senior who does who does it because it's a, an FIG World yeah. Cup event. And so no sneaking in, you know, oh, no sneaking in juniors that are outstanding yeah. juniors like Jordan Weaver in 2009. Um, and so it narrows the field a little bit. Oh, this following the rules nonsense. See, this is why it wasn't a real American, a real World Cup all those years. <laughs> <laughs> when was that, that I want to say they had like, four it was, it was a field of eight and there were like was this 2008 where there were four americans and oh yeah that was 2007 i think was... right you had um shayla worley and samantha pezek and sean and i think that's still when you had a qualifying session no like, yes you had it yes. yeah Ugh. <sighs> Qualifying. Speaking of qualifying, um, there was an award given out this year. Uncle Tim, will you tell us about that? Sure. So the FIG gave out their first award called the Most Commendable Program, and it went to the British Gymnastics. Congratulations, uh, British G Gymnastics. Uh, they won a prize of 15,000 Swiss uh, francs, francs uh, which is roughly $16,000. And the way they decide it is kind of based on how involved with FIG sanctioned events you are. So do you go to the artistic world championships? Do you go to the rhythmic uh, world championships? Do you go to the uh, trampoline, the acro, the aerobic world championships, et cetera? Etc. And you also can get deductions for things like doping and um, lack of respect of financial matters, um, not turning in your, not meeting deadlines, things like that. Probably getting you know kicked out like North Korea, those kind of things. Um, and so it was interesting to see the list. Um, Great Britain, as I said, was first. Belarus was second. France was third. Russia was fourth, and Germany was fifth. The United States was 14th behind <laughs> countries like Kazakhstan. Um, so, yeah, that's just something to think about. I love that GB won because I think they have really incorporated... They took this Olympics and they were like, we're going to incorporate every single thing and bring everyone in society into our sport. Like, they incorporated adult gymnastics, parkour, the gym strata, group gymnastics. Like, there's something for everyone. Like, incorporating parkour and free running, like, that's genius. You already have all those guys show up at adult gymnastics class and all those women that show up, you know, wanting to, like, set up obstacles and, you know, use the bars like they're the side of buildings. Like, I think they totally deserve this. In other news, the uh, Time magazine, so you guys have to bear with me here, okay? Time magazine put out an article this week. Um, actually, it's like they made their entire issue of the magazine this one article. Um, it's called Why Medical Bills Are Killing Us, and it is by Stephen Brill. And the reason this is so important and why I think all gym owners and gymnasts and parents should read this um, is because how much our medical costs are 
translates to how much our liability insurance costs in the in the US. So in the US we have liability loss. You can hold someone accountable for if they are responsible for your accident. And in turn, when insurance, when you go to the hospital, the insurance pays the hospital for whatever happened to you. The insurance doesn't like to pay that. They want to find someone else to pay it. So you get this nice letter that's like, you know, we're so sorry about your injury. We want to make sure that whoever's responsible for this pays. Can you tell us how exactly you were injured? And then they'll, they'll say, oh, I was at gymnastics and it was totally my own fault. And then they'll go to your gym and they will get try to get your gym's insurance to pay for that. And in turn, then the gym's cost for insurance, their liability insurance, can go up. And this can then affect whether or not the gym wants to take the risk of having a class, like a trampoline class, or a parkour class, or an adult gymnastic class, or if they want to have elite gymnasts, because they got hurt, they get hurt a lot. Um, so this article is shocking, shocking, shocking. Um, it basically follows a couple different medical bills and shows why they're so incredibly, insanely expensive. And I'll just give you one example. Um, they talk about a acetaminophen tablet, which is like Tylenol. The cost is um, one and a half cent. That's the actual cost. But the hospital marks it up. Are you ready for this? This is not an accident, what I'm about to say. The hospital marks it up to the patient 10,000%, not 100%, not 1,000, 10,000%. So every one of us in the United States should be outraged after reading this, and we should try to make something change and have something happen, because if that happens, it will translate to more gyms having more gymnastics classes and not having to worry so much about their insurance costs. Okay, that's the end of my rant for this week. Did that make sense? Yes. Yeah? Okay, good. Uncle Tim has a special treat for us this week, which I have been waiting. You guys have heard me talk about this like a bazillion times, which is the rise of the uh, of USGF, um, or the AAU scandal, as I like to call it. So, all right, so let's check in. Now, Uncle Tim, last time we checked on the, with you, you mentioned the AAU's beginnings. So can you tell us about the AAU's demise? Dum, dum, dum. Yes, I can. So uh, the AAU's demise really started because the NCAA was ticked off. Um, in the 1950s, the AAU was governing all the gymnastics meets in the United States, including the NCAA meets, which is um, a little bit different from what's going on nowadays. And the thing is, at the time, the NCAA coaches had no representation among the AAU officials. And if you've ever studied American history, you know that is a big no-no. You know, there's that whole thing called no taxation without representation. So the NCAA coaches were all like, no, no, no. We are preparing the gymnasts that eventually represent the United States. These were primarily male gymnasts, and lots of them did go on to world competitions. If we don't have something to say in the organization, we are going to start our own. Don't do us like that. So did they start their own organization then, the NCAA coaches? Um, kind of. So what ended up happening was uh, they the USGF was formed, or the United States Gymnastics Federation. And Jess, do you know where that started? Um, 
It was like in some guy's basement or his garage or something. <laughs> yeah. So starting in 1962, the USGF's headquarters were located in Frank Bear's house, which, if I recall correctly, was in Arizona. And it's kind of like the podcast in the sense that it started in your house, Jess. Uh-oh. And so I'm saying there's a chance for us. Um, anyway, so <laughs> they also started with a very modest budget of roughly $35,000 would be awesome if we had that budget so how did they get that money where did it come from did they steal it out of the coffers of these the scandalous aau <laughs> no they patented both the rhinestone and crushed velvet leotards <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding so the ncaa gave them some starter money um so yeah anything else you want to know jess um yes um how did the USGF get recognized by the FIG? Because before the AAU was recognized by the FIG, but then it switched, right? Yeah, exactly. So right away, right after they started in 1962, the USGF started hosting meets. In 1963, they hosted the first national meet. They also started hosting international meets. In addition, they sold lots of copies of the Coda Points, which the FIG um, produces, and they hosted the only international judges course for men ever held in the US, again, run by the FIG. So basically they did a lot of butt kissing. We're talking like Melissa from Dance Moms level, if you've ever seen that show. And it ended up working though. Um, In 1970 in Yugoslavia, the FIG recognized the USGF as the official governing body in the United States. So that, yeah, 1970 was the big year for USGF. Wow. So let's see, is there anything else that came out of this? You're, the research that you did on this? Yeah, so while I was doing this, I read a lot of articles, and I re- there's even a book about it. Um, but one article stood out in my mind. It was from a 1982 issue of International Gymnast, and they predicted the, that the problem of representation that I was talking about would pop up again. Frank Baer said, quote, the coaches will find themselves once again wondering how it happened that those who control the sport now are not active coaches. And someone once said, history repeats itself. Could it be so for gymnastics? And obviously none of us can speak for the coaches, but I'm curious what you think. Do you guys think that former or current coaches should be in charge of gymnastics federations, whether it be British Gymnastics or the USAG or the FIG. What are your thoughts? This totally makes me think immediately about USAG right now. And um, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, we have a president or CEO who's not a gymnast, has nothing to do with gymnastics. And then we had... Kathy Kelly, who was also had nothing to do with gymnastics, wasn't a coach or a gymnast, um, and they hold they held the most important positions. Um, Kathy Kelly's now gone, but Steve Penny's still there. Yeah, I'm just trying to think how coaches who are full time coaches currently would actually have time 
to be the president of a giant organization or something like that. And while I was at the Winter Cup, I actually got to meet some of the USAG workers. For instance, I met Lisa Mendel. She is in charge of the men's program, um, running the events and stuff. And she was just fantastic. She was the nicest woman ever. And so I feel like if you have people like that who I don't think she has much uh, experience with men's gymnastics. Obviously, she was never a former male gymnast, but I think if you have people like that running it, I think it can be great. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think if it's a question of do you have to understand everything about the sport in, a, in order to be able to run an organization? I mean, I guess the whole thing comes down to representation, too, like you're saying. Like, does it matter if these people aren't? Um, you know, weren't former gymnasts or coaches as long as they are taking into consideration the gymnasts and the coaches. And I think, um, you know, you have some coaches like running their gyms, but then kind of retiring into these positions. And we definitely have the majority of USAG is, um, is definitely coaches and gymnasts. Um, but it's, yeah, it's interesting. We are very proud to tell you that this interview with Beth Twiddle is brought to you by TumbleTrack. Um, and it's apropos that we're interviewing Beth Twiddle and TumbleTrack is sponsoring it because Beth is one of the queens of bars. And I remember back um, when I had one of the original prototypes in the gym I was training in um, when TumbleTrack first started. And we kept looking at this weird looking cut off black trampoline with red sides on it that was right next to the bars and it had a bar on top of the trampoline and we were like what is that crazy looking thing and then um we discovered that you could do magical things on it and we discovered that even if we couldn't do a, a giant yet or a tikacha that we could learn the most fun insane drills on it and i even had a friend that learned a tikacha in one day from that thing i she learned lots of things in one day but seriously it looks so fun so i love to play on it and i love to pretend like i could someday also do a tikacha but at least i could do the super fun drills and i still love to use it when i go to adult gymnastics class thank you tumble track for sponsoring this interview with beth Remember that you can find TumbleTrack and their fabulous frame bar at tumbltrak.com. Next is our interview with Beth Tweddle. We are so excited to have her on the show. And she is, if you don't know her, um, I, you must look up her routines. She's absolutely amazing. She won her first, that's right, I said her first world championship when she was 21. She won a Worlds on Bars. Um, then she went on to win again. And then she went on to become a floor world champion um, in her mid-20s, despite having a serious foot injury because her and her coach are so incredibly smart about her training plan. Um, and then she won the Bronze on Bars at the London Olympics at the young age of 27. And she does one of the most difficult bar routines in the world, connecting basically her entire, every single skill in her routine almost. She is incredible and she is a testament to what smart training um, can do. And um, she talks a lot about that in this interview. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Okay. So the most important question to start with, are you getting confident enough to try a backflip or layout step out on ice skates yet? <laughs> um, so in week four, we had um, school disco week and you had to pick a track from when I was at school. So um, I had five, six, seven, eight from steps. And we actually did a tuck back on the ice 
then. Obviously, it wasn't on my own, but um, my partner kind of just had his hand behind my back just to protect me. So I've tried out that, and I've also tried a layout on the ice. Um, but other than that, I haven't tried much else. That's so exciting! So do you think it might, <laughs> the layout step out might make it, make it into the into the routine for the finale? I mean, you don't have to give anything away. I know it's like, you know. I know, it's really difficult. We've, um, we had a lot of tricks, um, and we've still got a lot of tricks in the bag, but it just kind of depends what music you get for the final or semi-final, depending where I make it up to in the competition. Oh, um, so you so guys don't pick the music. It, yeah, it depends what goes with the music. So obviously, if you've got a nice slow bit, um, a tuck back or a layout doesn't really fit in with the music. And then this week, we've got props week. So I've got a hula hoop, which is really restricted. Because <laughs> um, I do. Obviously, normally I have done hands to do any lifts, and then suddenly we've got to have this hula hoop. So all the lifts and tricks that I'm doing this week, I've got to make sure that, one, it's not too dangerous, that if I step on the hula hoop, I'll kill myself. <laughs> Two, that it doesn't get in the way. So with the hula hoops, like what I immediately had in my in my head was that you were actually hula hooping on the ice but are you using it in that way or is it kind of like a rhythmic hoop like um, toss it in the air a bit of a mixture so we do obviously sort of the show skating steps with the hula hoop so between myself and dan we're connected via the hula hoop showing um my skating steps then we do some lifts where either the hula hoops attached around my neck or around his neck and then i'm connected in some way and then I do do a little bit of hula hoop halfway through the routine. That sounds like a death trap to me, just being on the ice. I mean, that's even scarier to me than the layout step out would be, is trying to skate with a big hoop around your neck. But yeah, do you know what? It's, it's been quite a scary week because literally if I, I've stepped on it a couple of times and I've just gone flying flat on my face. And then a couple of lifts I do, I do one where I wrap around down and I have to hoop the put the hoop onto my feet and I've completely missed my feet and hit down in the head with it. So um, it hasn't been our friend, um, but hopefully by Sunday night it will be. I'm excited to see it in a, I just hope it goes well, because again, that sounds scary. It is. And also you never know what's going to happen. It's so inconsistent. Right. I suppose that's the, that's like what's exciting about skating. Um, in a, in a previous interview, you had mentioned that you do not, uh, you do no wedgies in skating, which is a blessing, but you'd mentioned some sort of, um, like a tights hook thing. Can, how, I'm having a hard time picturing this. Like, yes, yeah, so they, um, obviously in gymnastics, everyone knows that's the gymnast worst fear to get a wedgie up the bum. Right. So that was my first questions when I went to costume, but, um, we actually wear tights or, and fishnets underneath your costume obviously I can't glue the costume straight onto my skin so instead um they put hooks on the bottom of the costume which then attach to my fishnets so um the costume can't ride up but they're not like they're not like sharp hooks right I guess no no if you like if you have a dress and you've got a zip and it has like a hook and I get it it's like that so it's not um like sharp or anything it's just literally onto the end um of a of the fishnet okay that seems that was in my head i was like is it like a fish hook that doesn't seem safe um <laughs> no no, do, no. <laughs> do you think there's any way that we could like make this work for gymnastics i mean i guess you can't really compete with tights um no not really because um we don't wear tights or anything so yeah. we wouldn't have anywhere to hook it onto 
we've got all sorts of other devices to keep from the dreaded wedgies so we can keep experimenting. Yeah, right. it's just a case glue spray for the wedgies. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Are there any other, um, so obviously skating fashion is different than gymnastics fashion. It, it seems a bit more detailed and uh, extensive. Are there any other skating fashion trends that you'd like to see uh, applied to gymnastics? Um, I think it's really difficult because obviously with the skating, it's all about the music and how your costume fits in the music and how the skills fits in the music. Whereas obviously we've got four apparatus, so obviously you'd love your costume to match your routine on floor to the music, but then it would totally get in the way maybe on bars or beam and there's only a very sort of strict um sort of of what you can wear with a leotard whereas obviously in skating you can have a catsuit you can have shorts and a crop top you can have so there's so many different variations so i don't think you can really cross it into gymnastics but um the attention to detail with a skating costume is just unbelievable oh, i can imagine i mean it's, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, just not only the cut, but all that they put into it. It, it makes, I think... That's my favourite part of the week. On a Friday, we get to see our costume, and obviously they check. On a Saturday morning, we have dress rehearsals, so I get to check whether the costume fits, and then if it needs any slight alterations, um, they have people on site that will either add hooks or they'll take it in slightly. So it always fits perfectly for the night. So you've been happy with everything they've presented to you. Is there any situation that they'd be like, here, wear this? And it would be so horrifying that you'd say no? No, they kind of, um, on the first weeks that we were here, they asked, was there anything that I wasn't happy wearing? And I was quite laid back about it. I was like, well, if I'm going to embrace the show, I might as well try everything out. So I've been quite laid back about what they give me. And actually, I've loved all my costumes. Well, good. And I think it does give you an opportunity to try new things and people can see you outside of just the normal leotards. And, um... It's been really nice. Like I said to them that I wanted to try and get away from, obviously I am a gymnast by nature, but I wanted to try and get away from that great back hair, ponytail, just leotard look. So they have completely changed my look every single week, which has been really nice to sort of see a different character. Right. That's fun. So we were talking to, we had Jenny Pinches on the sh- show um, two weeks ago, and um, and then I was talking to Danusha last night, and I was like, we're interviewing Beth, what should we ask her? Oh my gosh, tell us everything about her. So, um, and they both told me that you use um, pseudo cream on your hands for bars, and of course, I, I looked this up, and I was like, what is this stuff? And it... <laughs> The, the description says the nation's favorite nappy rash cream. So can you tell us what this is and how you use it? I know this is not a good advertisement actually, but, but um, we got I got recommended it by someone. Um, I used to get really sore wrists from my obviously my hand guards and my wristbands, so I just tried it one session and um, it just stops the friction between the tape and the hand guards. So uh, it is primarily in this country known for sort of nappy rash and putting on baby thumbs. But um, it works on handguards as well, or on your wrists. <laughs> so do you use it on your hands too, or just on your wrists? No, just on my wrists. I don't use it on my hands. Oh. Unless, like, in the, if I get a rip in my hands, I'll use it after training when I'm just at home. But I wouldn't train with pseudocreme on my hands, only on my wrists. 
Okay, very good. This is important clarification because I was like, oh my God, this is the secret. Everyone's going to start doing this. Like China and like Russia are going to sell out of this nappy cream stuff. Um, oh my God. Okay, this is very, this is very good to know. Cream on pretty much. Um, about me that I wore through the crib. <laughs> no, no. Actually, Danusha said that you're very caring and thoughtful and that you're like the person who always thinks of like really thoughtful little gifts to give to people. Oh, that's nice of her. Yes. She also told me that you are, you have like a fear of like, like fruit peels or banana peels. Well, or something. I mean, she told you that. Yeah, I do. I don't know what it is. I just, I just hate it. Just like old apple cores, like orange peel, anything like that, you just can't. It just it goes moldy too quickly. It's just minging. They are gross. If you think about it, they are. So it's not like if you saw one across the room, you would have to run from it. It's just something you don't like. But I just don't. They they used to wind me up and like try and blag it in my face and stuff, and I'm like, get out of my face. Especially Imogen. Imogen is the worst for it. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So um. All right, so let's get to the hardcore gymnastics questions. So, Go ahead. All right. So, um, you know, we've always wondered if you keep an eye on the other um, competition and, like, the difficulty rankings and look at, like, who else has, um, you know, the difficulty scores and stuff like that going into meets. Not really. I mean, the main thing I've always, between myself and my coach, it's always been I can only control what I do. They might have a higher start value, um, but the routine might be longer, so their execution might go down. So I've only ever worked on what I can do and to the best of my ability. And like Amanda says, oh, they might have like a, I don't know what, a seven, depending on what code we're on. Um, but she said their routine might be a bit longer, or I might only have a six, eight, but I've got everything connected, so there's no extra swings. So to be honest, I never really kind of took note of what other people's difficulty was, just in case it there's nothing I can do to control it. Gotcha. And um, being American, of course, um, I have to ask if you were aware of uh, Anna Lee and her routine and her new skill and that kind of stuff leading up to the Olympics. Did you ever watch it? Obviously, you hear about stuff and you see stuff on YouTube, but until they turn up to a competition, it's always the same. Like People might have seen training videos of me at competitions where I'm doing different things. And if you start panicking about it, there's nothing you can do about it. And it might start to affect your performance. So to be honest, I was aware that was stuff going on, but um, I never really took notice of it. Got it. That makes sense. Um, who did you consider kind of your biggest competition on bars or did, leaving, leading into the Olympics? Or did you even think about that? Um, obviously, people always ask me and there was a lot of competition. I mean everyone's going to be ready for the Olympics. So I knew Mustafina, obviously, even with the big injury, she was going to be back. She wanted to prove herself. And then, obviously, you've got Kamova because she was reigning world and European champion. Kexin. So there were so many that could be up there. And do you know what? It, it's down to a little bit of luck whose who's day it is on that 30 seconds. <laughs> I gotcha. Um yeah, it is one of those weird things. Like, it's not like other sports um, where you have to watch out for that kind of stuff. But I do have to ask, because you competed against, um, back in the day, against the queen, um, Horkina. <laughs> was there, like, we've heard stories about competing with Horkina or being on the stands. Like, um, who was it that uh, Carly Patterson said that when she was on um, 
when she was on the stand in Athens with uh, Horkina, they were like smiling for pictures. And Horkina was like, smile, I just lost the Olympics, that kind of stuff. I have to ask, like, if there was any, you know, behind the scenes stuff with Horkina, not necessarily like, trash talking, but just what it was like, because she's such a personality. Yeah, I mean, I never heard anything like that, but I remember my first Europeans in my first senior one in 2002. I'd had my water spray and she was using it and I was really scared to go and get it back off her and my coach was like, go and get it. It's your water spray. You need to use it for competition. So I was like, please find my water spray back. And she gave it to me. She was really nice about it. She just thought it was one that was there to be used. But I was I was quite scared to ask her for it. <laughs> I totally would have been too. Um, okay, so we saw videos of you working on a Double Arabian Full Out, um, and we have yeah. to ask, uh, how close were you to competing that, or might we see that in the future? Well, I had it on the floor area. Um, I was just really unlucky with injuries. Uh, so I had it, Was it? I think it was about a year, year and a half ago, and then I had um, a cast tear was literally out for the first three months of the year then I had to get ready for nationals then it was a case of we had to qualify for Olympics so I couldn't risk it for the team performance then obviously um beginning of last year I saw my cartilage and my knee so I couldn't risk anything with that it was just a case of I needed to try and get fit to be actually able to go to the Olympics so I had it in I was training in routines on tumble track and stuff but I never actually put it in a routine on floor so do you think um, if your knee's feeling good and everything's going well, maybe later we might see it? You never know. I mean, it's really difficult because also the other problem was um, for the upgrade of it, it was something like a tenth or maybe two tenths. And for the inconsistency that it could cause if I had a, like the floor area wasn't very bouncy or you had to go in cold, it, it was quite a risk for the one-tenth where you could just do double Arabian lands and do a split jump out of it. it. It just didn't seem worth it. That totally makes sense. Like I, and that, But that's the thing that like, kills me about the code is because I feel like the way you did that was beautiful. And I would rather see you do a beautiful, um, new, innovative skill than someone do a split jump out of it. Like, do you think, because there are people that do, you know, do it with their legs, like, so far apart, it's practically a straddle, you know? Yeah, it's, it is really difficult, because obviously you've got to play to the code. Um, and the code that it was last season, and obviously I think it is this season as well, you can jump out of everything. So, um, one, it takes away your deduction for landing, and two, you get the connection bonus, so you're pretty stupid not to play to the code. Yeah, that's totally true. Well, when you and your coach take over the FIG, you can change all those <laughs> rules. I mean, I'm just saying, I would totally vote for you. If I don't know how you get to vote for that, but I'm going to find out and <laughs> make sure. Um, so... Um, you know, and Anna Lee and Memo, uh, Chelsea Memo were on this, like, tour that w went around the U.S. after the Olympics, and they um, started playing around with, like, men's high bar skills, and both of them said they wanted to learn a Kovacs, and they did a little, like, men's high bar thing at the beginning of the tour. Um, I don't know if they ever did it, like, in public, but they were playing around with it. So I have to ask if you have also thought about, you know, playing around on men's high bar or learning any of the men's high bar skills. Um, definitely not Kovacs. I would not in a million dreams try that. Um, obviously, a lot of my skills um, I took from um, 
from Menside, but I say my Mark Love, um, my coach's husband at the time, he talked it to me um, because he was coach for the lads in our gym. So, um, and then also Stoop Half, um, the forward Stoop Half that the lads do. So kind of squat disco half. Um, I was working that uh, for a bit. But again, it was just getting it into the routine, the consistency changing of your routine. And then was it worth it for the tenths that you were gaining? I might as well just do toe, toe half or toe full and get the same thing for it. Yep, that makes sense. So no plans to put together a men's high bar team for fun. I mean, I'm not saying that like I would pay to see that and it would be awesome. I know. And... Um, we'll have to see. Okay. Well, I mean, if you want to, you could make a video out of it and, you know, <laughs> just from the fans, just putting it out there. Okay. Um, so I was also asking Danusha if you had any crazy wipeouts and cause your bar routine is like amazing. And all of those, I mean, your connections, you have to have had them. She's like, no, not really. And I was like, come on see the routine being put together so I only ever see that like obviously Jenny she might have given a bit more away but um Denisha and that I only ever saw at competitions or at camps so I was usually pretty competition fit by then so the routines were pretty ready whereas learning some of the skills in the gym was to be honest you could have I could have got a lot for you being framed because there's so many funny moments so uh, the first time I did my catch-up half I nearly flew off the high bar because I was, I was so surprised that I'd actually caught the bar. Um, when I learned my underheely or uh, the full turn from the invert at the beginning, I used to do naught out of 20 a day and literally would catch the bar and fly in front of some sort of left, right and centre. And I'd have a right face on and Amanda was like, just keep on it, we'll get it, we'll get it. <laughs> I had so many stupid moments just even little things like doing pack and missing my hand, ending up wrapped round the bar. So, yeah, plenty of moments where I've messed up big style. Okay, well, that's good to know because I was like, oh, my God, she's really, like, superhuman. Like, she doesn't even wipe down. I was aware of where my body was. So even when I did wipe out, I usually got to a safe enough position that I'd just land flat on my back or on my stomach. Um, there was nothing too drastic that I can remember. <laughs> so what was the scariest skill for you to learn? And it could be something you learned as a kid. It could be on a different event. But just what was like... Uh, this, the scariest thing I did, well, I always did, was vault. Um, one and a half Yuchenko scared the living daylights out of me. Wow, really? Like more than a regular Yuchenko? Or just any Yuchenko scared you? Just for some reason, the one and a half Yuchenko, Yuchenko, I just, I had a phobia of it. And if I had to do it now, it would scare me. I just, my coach was saying, are you not scared on the ice? And like doing the tuck back on the ice and doing the, and then I did like wing walking after the Olympics where I stood on a plane, like in the air. And I was more scared of a one hearty chunker than I was stood on a plane in the middle of the air. Wow. So was it, I mean, I know that fear can be totally rational, but was it the landing? Because that's what would scare me. I would be afraid that I was going to like hyperextend my knees. No, it wasn't the landing at all. I, I, I don't even know why I had a fear of it because I never did anything in training that freaked me out on it. I just, I don't know, I just didn't like it. And what was the hardest skill for you to learn, for, even from when you were a little kid, like that just took the longest to get? The longest probably was the underheely, um, the full turn from the invert. Just 
it took me literally a whole summer of doing 20, 30 a day of pinging off left, right and centre. Um, but luckily, in, like back in that day, I was I was young enough that I had the whole summer to be able to just learn it. So, yeah, probably the underheels. Um, and you've talked a lot about how um, you and Amanda took steps to limit the stress on your body, including like you were saying that you'd only tumble on the rod floor until it was right before a meet, and then you'd take it to the regular floor. And I just wonder, with um, with training at Lillishall and having a national team program and national camps, how you guys maintained that um, like awareness and limiting stress on your body, but also did like the national team programs and stuff? Yeah. It was it was difficult, obviously. Um, but the older I got, the the more that the national team were really supportive of me. They knew that my feet couldn't take that impact. Obviously, I've got the medical team there the whole time, and they understood that my feet just couldn't take that impact. So, um, I mean, we only ever spend leading up to a major. Obviously, it's slightly different, but for camps, it's three four days at a time. Um, so, I would do one day off, one day on, one day off, so that they could see that I was tumbling on hard and then obviously the older I got they allowed Amanda to control my program I would do what they needed but maybe on soft whereas some people would be on hard and no one ever questioned it it was it was just a case of they knew that I was that little bit older because most of my teammates were maybe six seven years younger than me so they didn't really question it they knew that when I came to competition I did what I needed if we had a control comp I would show that I could do it on hard um, if we had a competition, they knew that I would produce the performance they needed. So no one ever questioned it. Good. That's what we like to hear. And um, <laughs> speaking of that, um, so try to follow me with this train of thought here, but um, I just feel like you, one of the things that's so inspiring about you is that you just shatter every single stereotype about gymnasts. Your um, <laughs> age number one, um, is, you know, you just get better and better and better and not just like winning, but you're doing the hardest routines in the world. And, um, I just, I feel like you also kind of break that stereotype with your body type. Like you don't have this like stick figure, um, you know, no hips and like giant shoulders, like the typical gymnast, you know? And I think you have such a beautiful figure and it's not the typical, um, gymnast, you know, 12 year old has never gone through puberty, um, figure and I wonder if anybody ever questioned your ability or you know told you you know well you're not going to be successful because you're too tall or you're too old or your figure's not right or anything like that yeah as a youngster um part they did um one I grew when I was sort of 12 13 I had quite a bad injury in my ankle and I grew so when I was at junior squads and like start squads Obviously, I was just like the tallest. I was the biggest. I had a proper, sh- like a, a older girl shape rather than your typical young gymnast shape. So there was times then when people were like, oh, there's no chance she'll be able to do it. She's the wrong shape. She's the wrong height. But I think people then realized that I might not have had that factor, but I had the like the brain. I had the um, determination and the mental sort of side that, if someone told me I couldn't do something, I wanted to prove them wrong. And then from the age of about 14, I literally didn't grow. I've been in the same height and weight since, I think. In fact, I'm probably way less than what I did at my first World Champs in 2001. So as I grew older, my body settled into its own shape. All right. 
I'm, I think that's very inspirational to hear because I think that's also the age where a lot of female gymnasts are told or they feel like looking around the gym, like, okay, I hit puberty, like this is going to be it for me. And knowing that you, you know, yeah, that happened really, with you. Um, I mean, I, I hit puberty quite early and I was like, I was quite, not embarrassed, but in the gym, it was quite hard when my teammates, they hadn't grown and I was kind of like, well, why have I and no one else has? But then, actually, as I got older, it was to my advantage because I learned a lot of my skills with my body at the size and shape I am now. So I didn't sort of have to, suddenly at the age of 16, 17, when my body changed, have to relearn a lot of the stuff, which I think a lot of gymnasts do. They they get all these big tricks as a youngster because they weigh nothing. <laughs> and they're, they're these small little things, and then suddenly they hit puberty and their timings all change. Yep, totally. You're totally right. And um, I wonder also if that allowed you to have more power. Like, people talk about this with men having more power as they get older, but I feel like no one, you know, Shannon Miller is one of the only people that really talked about, I felt like when I hit puberty, I had all this power I didn't have before. Did you feel like that after you got used to, you know? Youngster, I was a lot more powerful on floor and vault, I guess, than what some of my competitors were. And sometimes too much power and stuff. I mean, I had the problem in the fact that I was injured, so um, it restricted me quite a lot on floor and vault. Um, but yeah, I guess um, I learned how to do the skills with that power. Whereas I think some of the youngsters, they learn how to do the skills with the power, but without the technique. Whereas I had to have the technique because I was that little bit heavier. Yeah. And, you know, the average age of Olympic gymnasts is now over 20. So 55%, I think, are um, 20 years or older now. And you're kind of leading that guard of new, you know, female older gymnasts. I've decided that you were you were the leader. Um, you know, Chusevitna is in her own class, and then you're leading the new guard. So, um, you know, do you think that this is because you're just extra awesome? Or do you think this – no, I'm just – the – this age shift that we're going to do you with the older gymnast do you think that's because the age limit was raised or you think this is because there's more opportunities for specialists this is a huge debate in the gymnastics community you know i think it's a mixture obviously the age being raised um obviously helped but i think maybe one or two of us have done it so obviously she's a vegan i did it i did it and then other people started to think hang on a minute is they're still doing it, they're still enjoying it, they're still achieving, and they're still representing their country. What's to stop us doing it? So I think then other people sort of followed track, and they carried on, and you didn't feel like you were on your own out there because there was just myself competing in the 20s. There was other gymnasts. Because, I mean, um, you've got the girl from um, Poland, Martha. Um, you've got Hippolyte from Brazil. So there was a group of us who were all a similar age, and we, we kind of grew up the ranks with each other from the 2001 Worlds and just carried on. So I think there is um, just that change in belief within the age. All right. Uh, these questions are from uh, Twitter fans who follow the podcast on Twitter. Um, I, people were so excited when we told them we were interviewing you. And we've got a lot of submissions, but we just picked a few top questions. This is from Emma G. Um, she says, Beth is known for her crazy combos. Is there anything you wanted to do but couldn't? Either due to the code, it, it wasn't humanly possible, you either couldn't learn it or perform it consistently? Um, 
I really love soup on bars, so like the soup shoulder. Um, but my body just, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do shoulder, I couldn't do short clear, I couldn't do soup shoulder. But I just think as a skill itself, soup shoulder is just a beautiful skill, especially when you start turning it and start releasing catching with it. Um, but I was just never able to do it. I tried so hard. <laughs> it's interesting because then you've, you've always managed to, you know, uh, replace it with other skills. Like it's, I'm trying to imagine your routine now with those stalders, but yeah, they seem impossible. I, oh God, I was trying to add the steep stalder in um, for the Olympics, but it just, it just didn't work. And obviously you need it turning and, there just wasn't enough time for me to get it in. And that's when I made the decision that the, the, the dismount had to go in instead. It's just obviously using the soup shoulder, you could put it at the beginning of the routine, so then you're not as tired. The problem with using a brand new dismount is you've got to do it at the end of the routine. There is no other option. And obviously that brings the risk. Right. Oh, but I loved your dismount so much. That's... Yeah. Yeah, it's one that, I mean, we've seen other people do, but it's, it, in my opinion, it's always been kind of shady, or I fear for their lives when they do it. And yours was the first safe one that I would watch, and I'd be like, oh, this is and this is exciting and entertaining to watch. It took so long to get into my routine. I mean, I've had double-double for maybe four or five years, but just with the code and how long, I mean, especially with, you used to have to have 10 elements in your routine by the time you'd done the nine elements that you needed to count by the time I got to my dismount it was just it was just impossible to be able to double double and it was only literally after the world champs last year I had a period of I think it was about three four months before I was competing again that I was able to just literally work on routines with the double double so I wouldn't necessarily do my full complete bar routine I would do um like 10 up set handstands then do a release and catch and then go straight into the dismount so I worked other ways of getting the stamina to be able to do it. So by Christmas 2011, I had a basic structure of a bar routine that I was able to do with the dismount, whereas I'd never had that in my life. So it was just it just took so long to get into the routine because it is just so difficult. I think it's worth the wait. I remember hearing, we'd hear rumors, we'd see podium training videos and we'd hear like, oh, Beth did the dismount. And, yeah. and, uh, I mean, I... It, um, I could do it quite easily from a three-quarter bar routine ready for right. the 2011 Worlds. And I'd done it a couple of times with the full bar routine, but to be honest, it was never really ready. Um, I would never have risked it for a team competition. I would only ever have put it out for an individual competition. The finals. Well, it was very worth the wait. Emma also asks... Um, do you, uh, can you think of any other current or rising uh, UK gymnasts that have the potential to be your successor on the bars? Or or she wants to know, who is the next Beth? You know, it's really difficult. There's, I mean, there's so much talent that we've got at the minute, and it's obviously just making that transition from the junior levels to the senior levels. Obviously, we saw Rebecca Tunney last year coming and storming the world, um, storming UK British gymnastics, obviously, and then she had an amazing Olympics and she was only 15. So she's got the potential to grow. Um, and then you've got Gabby Jupp, um, who medaled at junior European level. And she's a fantastic beam worker and a really good all-arounder. So I really hope that they've got that thing that will just carry them through. And they've got that belief within themselves that they can medal. And I think we'd have to ask this again, too, in, in 10 years to see, you know, I don't, 
know that in 2001, we'd have been like, wow, Beth is still going to be, you know, the top competitor for the I country. Definitely not. Right. I don't think anyone thought that at all. So, I mean, it might be a dark course now. She might, like, they might just be sort of sneaking through the junior levels and then they might come into their own. I never won a national title until I was a senior and I never kind of came into my own until I was sort of 17, 18 years old. So the, that's what I want the youngsters to realise, that they don't necessarily have to be junior British champion when they're 13, 14. They don't have to be meddling as long as they're just like sort of going along with their game, keeping their mind straight and working hard with that one goal, then they've got time. They don't need to do it all at 15, 16 years of age. I hope they listen to that because, and like we had just mentioned, that it's, you know, there's the potential for success for years and years and years if you're smart about it. Yeah. All right. Alyssa Nambiar um, would like to know who your gymnastics inspiration is um, being in a country that didn't have um, the real, you know, the, the super powerhouse uh, teams like the Russians, the Romanians. Yeah, I mean, it was really difficult. Um, obviously, I looked up to Anna Karida and Lisa Mason because, like, at the time I was growing up, they were Britain's top stars. They were the ones that were going off to Europeans, hoping to win medals and getting finals, winning Commonwealth medals. So um, on the British side, obviously, we had our role models, but they weren't picking up the international medals. Um, so on an international basis, I I just loved Lilia Pocopaeva. Um, yes. Her flority that I've watched over and over again from the 96 Olympics. And oh, I just nice. loved her. So I think her and also Zamalochkova. Um, I loved her from sort of when I was younger as well. So, and then you got to compete with, um, well, did, now I can't remember. Did Zamo compete in 2001 or also 2003? She was there. No, I competed times, so that was really surreal to sort of think. A few okay. years ago, I was looking up to her, and then suddenly, I remember going to Europeans in 2000. I was still a junior, but she was obviously competing in the senior competition. But my coach introduced me to her, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Uh, is it weird to think that there are probably a billion little girls who, not little, I mean they're probably teenagers now, but probably feel the same way about you? It is like, really bizarre. I just yeah. see myself. I'm still the same person. I still go back in the gym. I still work hard and I've still got that same ambition. Um, and then it's only when I go to competitions, like I'll go to nationals next month. And so many little kids, have, they send me letters, they send me pictures and they're like, I want to be the next best. And it's, you don't realise until you turn up to events like that how much you do have an impact on these younger generations. Right. I imagine they're just excited, you know, when they do get to the age, if they do get to compete um in the same you know with you or on in the same arena that's got to be pretty overwhelming yeah it's pretty cool and I always try and spend a lot of time with my fans whether it's at competition signing stuff or whether it's on Facebook or Twitter I always try and reply to everyone that's good good one final question is from Ninja Editor now the new code favors your style of uneven bar work. Have you given any thoughts to coming back or perhaps another event final medal at Worlds? I it's really difficult at the moment. I haven't made any final decisions. I've still been in the gym doing bits and pieces and I've been in contact with my coach every day. I mean, I've taken a break from competition, so I definitely won't be at Europeans. Um but I haven't ruled anything out, but I have heard the code does work in my favour on bars. Um, 
But do you know what? I, I just have to say, once I finish dancing on ice and I get back in the gym full time, exactly how I feel. I want my heart to be in it fully. I don't want to be remembered as the one who was up at the top and then dropped again. So I need to know that my heart's in it 100%. Right. I imagine okay. you won't know until you're working out. And yeah, I'm still in the gym. I'm still doing bits and pieces, but I'm definitely not going to be competing at Europeans. Well, either way, you know, you've, we're excited to either see you compete again, or even if you just put up training videos, excited to watch on this, on the show, definitely. See do you, do you love that we've hinted like 12 times? Like, <laughs> if you want to put up any training videos, we would love to watch. To flag a video and superimpose my body onto it just to send to you. <laughs> yes. Well, that's all we have right now. It's kind of the off season. Here's a, this is a random question um, because we've talked about uh, we've spoken about Danusha, and we also and well we I mean there's also Marissa King. There's a lot yeah. of um, girls come over here to compete for our yeah. collegiate system. They um the, before 2004, I think there'd only been one or two, and then one of my teammates, my best friend from 2004, Nick, she went skaters. And she just absolutely loved it. And then I think people started to realise that if you weren't quite ready to finish gymnastics, but you'd finished kind of with the national team, it was a perfect step. You got to have another life. You got to experience college and obviously get to go to America. And um, everyone seems to love it out there. So what did you guys think of Beth's interview? Um, Life, was there anything that surprised you? You know, I can't say there's anything that really surprised me, but I really appreciate how kind of genuine and down to earth Beth is just about the whole thing, the whole process. And uh, yeah, it, that that's really what I kind of took away from it. I kind of love the part where she was describing her, her dance with the hula hoop and everything, mm-hmm. because I finally got to see that dance this week. And she had crazy hair and she had like... A uh, leotard that would make Ponor blush. It was incredible. And it was so much fun to listen to the commentators afterward because they gave like all these cheesy mo- moves names like the Gaga belt and stuff. I don't know. I just, it was interesting to hear her take on it and then to see the dance. And she didn't mention the fact that she was going to do like a handstand pirouette with ice skates on or like a back extension roll with ice skates on and stuff. It was, it was cool to see that dance. I, again, like Blythe, I was just caught off guard by how just genuine and humble she was, of course. What I um, especially liked, and I, I think this got, I don't think this would even make the interview because it got, we got cut off at the very end, but right before our, everybody's phones went to crap, um, I'd asked her uh, what she, because there are a couple of other British gymnasts who are active in the NCAA, and I had asked her if she ever, you know, got a chance to watch those videos, and she passionately answered us with, she follows um, Danusha and Marissa and Becky Wing and how much fun it seemed you know, they seem to be having, and um, I was, I was, it was pleasantly caught off guard by, like, the vigor in which she answered us, and knew, obviously, right away a, a bit, you know, about the program, and the years that, you know, the gymnasts had started um, coming overseas to compete, and I was just pleasantly surprised by that. That was really cool, and we know those Brits just love Florida, too. She was like, yes, they went to the Gators, and... <laughs> I loved it. Um, I was most surprised that she 
was like, I will never learn a Kovacs. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And who would ever in their right mind do that? Like, I was like, seriously? Like, I would be afraid I would land in the bleachers, like, flinging off the bar doing one of your crazy connections. And then, um, and then, like, the thing is, to juxtapose that with what she's doing on that skating show, like, she does that crazy move where the guy, um, you know, holds you by the feet and then flings you (laughs) around with your head right next to the ice. Like, what? I... I think a Kovacs would be less scary than that because you're depending on yourself as opposed to some random ice skater dude. I mean, I guess she knows him now, but that was right. surprising. Also, well, also the 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 Yurchenko. Like, I thought it was interesting. Like, she's like, I could do the full Yurchenko would be fine, but if I if the half, that extra half, just terrified me, um, and that if she had to do it right now, she'd like freak out. I just, you know, those little quirks are always interesting. It is really interesting because you never know what's gonna scare someone or what will bother them it's so personal you know Mm -hmm. she was a total sweetie i really i know we say that about everybody but really she was so cool and um we had a great time talking about her we had a great time (laughs) yes we we are enjoying talking about her we had a great time talking to her okay and with that let's get to we have not had our ncaa um (laughs) talk for two weeks so much has happened. We had see-through leotards. Spanny, what's happening? Oh, it's kind of a bit grouped. I mean, I think this past week was a little more um, entertaining than the week prior. This was just like a weird week. It was with highs and lows from a lot of teams. Um, first, I wanted to address a, a question from a listener about where to find all of these meets that we watch online or to find recaps or scores. And... Um, in, I'm going to direct you to uh, Lauren Hopkins from the Couch Gymnast. She and we have, will have a link on the site. She compiles. She spends a ton of time and she compiles extensive lists every single week. Um, she includes free meets, the meets you have to pay for. Uh, most most of the meets have live scoring, uh, live stats updates for you. Um, yeah, I would just I would just steer you in that direction. Lauren Hopkins from the Couch Gymnast. Also, collegegymfans.com is a top source for not just links, but also they update their national rankings and scores every Monday. So you could go right now and be like, who is number five on vault? And um, of course, after this last week, they they started applying the RQS scores. So all everything's all shifted and, and wacky. Um but it's definitely worth a look over there. And again, they also post, usually it's not until the day of the meet, but you can go on the site and they will have a list of both uh, men's and women's meets. So uh, most of the sites, it, it's different this year. In the past years, you could you could get a, a subscription to the CBS All Access and a, most of the schools participated in this program. And you could, you'd pay whatever it is, seven bucks a month, um, and you would have access to all these meets. They would be archived. It was wonderful. So I signed up so excited this year. But this year it's different. Um, not a lot of schools. I mean, there's some schools in it. It's worth it. It's for, again, I think I paid, I think I paid 14 bucks for two months. It was some sort of deal. Um, it's worth it because you do get to see some of the, the other, like Minnesota usually has meets up there. Um, Iowa, Michigan. That said, there are a few schools that you would they would ask you to pay for their own viewing, like LSU, Arkansas, um, Florida, the Gators. I say 
I've I subscribe separately to their meets and I've found it to be worth it only because they they archive their meets almost immediately after they're finished. So if you're a working Joe like myself, who usually has to work Friday nights and you can't watch the meets live, um, then it's definitely worth it. The final uh, source we have this year, which is new and jury's still out on what we really think about it, is the Pac-12 network. Um, some of the meets are free, they're live, you know, the quality's hit or miss, but for free meat, we can't complain. That said, um, a good number of the bigger meats are blacked out because they are airing them live on the Pac-12 TV channel, which you obviously get if you live on that side of the world, but also randomly in, like, Maine, they'll have it. I know that here in Minnesota, I have no shot in the world of watching it, and so I get really frustrated. I miss my sweet Danusha routines, and I get all pregnancy ragey. All right. So that was kind of an extensive recap of where to watch all the meets. And that's all the fun twos. And you can go to any of the school sites and you can be like, I want to watch LSU. Go to LSU. Look at they'll They'll have the links up there. All right. <clears throat> Let's start with the biggest story of not this past week, but probably the entire season is going to be Oklahoma. Um, and everybody knows Oklahoma's good, but they're not, you know, no, people don't they forget about them because they're not loaded with the, you know, elites. They've got all these like ninja sniper level tens. Um, and they're amazing. So they scored a mind boggling 198.375. Florida last week was the last week. They scored a 198.1 and people are like, Oh wow, that's crazy. But that's Florida to, you know, to, Overscore them by almost three tenths. Um, it's pretty, pretty sizable. This is on par with a 2004 era UCLA team, legendary Jamie Dancer, Tasha Schweiker ears, or Georgia in their prime. This is a big deal. Most other schools are like really gunning to break 197. So 198. I cannot reiterate how wild that is. And they looked um, amazing. Like I don't think that was a crazy score. I they looked they looked beautiful. They were, they were great. And they really are the class of the field, too. Like, if you want to just, I mean, I know we say this about, like, Minnesota and other teams, but they, I mean, their beam rotation is, like, China good. Yes. It's, it's, it's glorious. Um, glorious okay. is the only way to put it. I mean, yeah. yeah. Their floor seems, you know, I, I laugh at some of their floor routines. Some of them are cute, but some of them, are like, run into, like, the kind of the Bama squatty heel toe they i when i make my goofy like you know my montage video or you know the choreography videos like i always kind of like mm, what's oklahoma doing because i know i'm gonna find really interesting but um, no one we do have to say that nobody did the knock on their door the door with their legs closed knock 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 and then open their legs this year so that's good i mean this is a big improvement from the past true, yeah mm-hmm <laughs> However, they did sport a very interesting leotard. Um, I believe, Jess, you coined it the boobitard. That's right. There's a lot of mesh. It's a lot of side boob. A lot of front boob. Um, I thought, you know, I couldn't tell without maybe getting a, a more high-detailed picture, but it, I thought it was similar to the, the ones that the USA wore for podium training and prelims, but without the see-throughness. And so um, these ones were way more garish and frightening. I mean, these are pretty girls. And they're all fit, but I just I don't want to see boobs. 
when I watched gymnastics. Yeah, like it wasn't, like I don't think it was actually totally see-through, but it looked like it was totally see-through. So, I mean, I just couldn't stop looking at the side of, because I was like, oh my god, they're going to have like a nipple moment. Um, So it was just, it was distracting. It was, uh, you know, I like the cut of that Leo, but not the, not with flesh-colored mesh. And while we're on the topic, can we please get back to none of this flesh-colored nonsense? Because no Mm. one's skin color is the same, unless you're like from Siberia, and then it's like a light-colored blue. But otherwise, there is none of this, and we need to go back to having underwear that match the bottom of your leotard. Please. Please. Please, people. Oklahoma also, like, when they, I've seen them do when they do the open back um, leotards, but Instead of like mesh, they it, it seems it looks like an ace bandage. That's the only thing I can think of. It looks like ace bandage fabric, and um, that's supposed to match every girl. Yeah, am I still here? My sound just went. Whoop. Hello. Yeah, you're still there. Okay, sorry. Yeah. All of a sudden, it went dead. I'm like, am I talking to myself? <laughs> okay, sorry. The fashion police uh, cracked down on yeah, your audio. Just, you said boob too many times. PG thirteen. Okay. Now, to contrast Oklahoma's um, insane performance, Friday night was such a weird night for elite-level meltdowns. I felt like every highly touted ex-elite, I mean, almost everyone in the NCAA, NCAA had a very uncharacteristic fall. Every girl that you could count on to be like, oh, never ever falls, it was just had a weird fall. Um, we saw them from, like, the... Sloan and Hunter, Mako, but we also, I mean, we saw him from the, the girls who maybe we weren't so surprised. Maddie Larson, um, uh, Krista Tonella on bars, which I don't think she's fallen all year. Well, maybe she has, I don't know. But and it, it just, as I noticed it, then I, I kept, you know, I'd switch from meat to meat to meat. And it's, it, it was like a domino night where just everybody went down. Um, bizarre commentary of the week to go back to that uh, <laughs> Oklahoma broadcast. She was so funny. <laughs> Kelly Garrison. She's not Steve's anymore, is she? I guess not. Kelly Garrison. Um, huh. <laughs> With John Roethlisberger, and I enjoy him. I mean, you know, more or less as a commentator. I think he brings personality. He knows what he's talking about. He makes me um, laugh, and that's important in, in, in commentary, I think. Need to do a lot of correcting. <laughs> I think the first thing right, where one of the gymnasts, you know, vaulted and took a very sizable slide. Huge! Back. Huge! Halfway down the mat! <laughs> it wasn't just like, oh, that was a good landing. She was like, this is what I've been telling them to do. Stick it! And he's like, she, she didn't. She didn't stick it. <laughs> um, it was just the passion in which she said these things was really. I mean, I have to respect her for being so passionate, but it was, it caught me off guard. If I was zoning out, like I want to, she, she, the way she gasped and the general screeching, um, was, was alarming me. Uh, if I wasn't paying really direct attention, uh, which I guess, you know, she made me pay attention. Also, uh, what was the other really weird thing? Um, someone on beam she's referring to as like a stick figure or learning from stick figures she's like the judges learn by watching by looking at stick figures on in a book and this girl is the stick figure Uh, which she meant by like her form was perfect yeah i think (laughs) really it was taylor's it was taylor spears on bars if i remember correctly (laughs) 
just what a weird thing to say. Like, I get it. Like, okay, I've seen those and the drawings, I guess, but that that's also extremely dated. Um, which, I mean, I existed in a world before YouTube as well, but still. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just weird, out-of-touch stuff. But um, she did seem, you know, flattered when John Roethlisberger had told a story about someone who had learned, like, oh, where did Miss Val, like come up with the you know the idea i guess that all the girls need to smile and she's like oh she saw it from kelly garrison and kelly was all flattered so you know but that said i will give i do want to give huge props to you for making that uh replay of the meet available was i mean it was available half an hour an hour after the meet finished um so that's always fun my nifty concept of the week was the asu co-ed meet um I just think it's neat. I mean, we got to see it on the, the Pac-12 station online. Uh, the Sun Devils men's, so as the men and women both got to compete in Wells Fargo Arena. So they alternated routines, which in theory, I guess I would have been, I don't know, it would have been, it would have been difficult for me to focus while I was there, but it was interesting to watch. Um, the men's team has been relegated to club status after being cut from the NCAA. They have stayed afloat for years and years and years, thanks to Scott Barclay. They don't get to compete often in arenas, so it's really cool for them to be able to compete in Wells Fargo Arena alongside the women. Uh, there, and there's a good turnout as well. <laughs> this I remember from when I was at ASU. Little club girls love their men, like their male gymnasts. They show up at these meets and they scream and they scream and they run and they scream. <laughs> so it was just cute. I think they had like a billion Girl Scouts there. And they're all screening for their male gymnasts. And it's just another way to get people interested in other facets of the sport. So um, it, we desperately, the commentary was hurting. And we needed a dose of Uncle Tim's stat. But, um, <laughs> other than that, it was, it was a neat idea. And, you know, it's a good way to get men's gymnastics out there. I have to mention before we finish up NCAA, um... Utah had a 10 at their meet against Stanford, and it was uh, Leah Del Piore, and her routine was beautiful, absolutely beautiful on floor. She got a 10, but I have to mention, this is like a thing with Utah. I don't know what the deal is, but basically they had like a, um, they have this this theme of having like football routines, of people doing, not football routines, but people doing routines to football music. Like one gymnast had like the NFL theme music as her music and um and she and then she promptly started the routine and then tore her acl right away or her achilles but um this gymnast her routine was beautiful she got a 10 she did it to the theme music from rudy so hello that's awesome but did you guys notice that she did the tebow during that routine yeah she gets up from the floor and does the tebow with like the um you know the hand near the face and the praying thing i was like oh Rudy and the Tebow, it was shocking. The routine is absolutely beautiful. So beautiful. Seems ironic that this would be the year that anybody uses the theme Rudy, just because that's all I see on floor now. I think after Uncle Tim had like pointed out Rudy's on floor, I was like, that's all I see now. Rudy. <laughs> so it's Rudy music doing the Rudy's. Yes. Every routine, every pass, Rudy. Okay, listener feedback. We haven't done this in a couple weeks. Um, we had a little contest. Do we have any winners from our virginity contest? I don't know if we have any winners, but we have participants. <laughs> you can't win that contest? You can't win at losing your... 
opportunity. <laughs> uh, okay, so we'll be posting those photos. Um, Spanny, I'll let you take it from here. Alright, our uh, participants this week is Aurora Nola, and I brought four gym meet virgins to our inter-squad, but forgot to take a picture. So sad, hashtag gym nerd fail. Just send us a picture later, next time. Um, Chris Jordan at Mayot86. Uh, this must have been a conversation that I'm not aware of. No beer, but I did take both of their gym virginities. Um, quote, they said the most, that hurts my shoulders. Word. Let's see. This is from NP at Georgia Tech. I also really wanted to say thank you for all the hard work that you do for adult gymnastics and the Gymcastic podcast that you host. I started gymnastics when I was a freshman in college and have now been doing gymnastics for a few years. It's good to know that there are people who are working to make sure adults know that they can start doing gymnastics too. Plus, the podcast is great and has helped me find some awesome new gymnastics blogs to follow. Jess, that's all you because... So yeah. That one made me so happy. It incorporated everything. The podcast, yeah. adult gymnastics, and you guys. It's just Yay. like, thank you for that. Jeff. NP in Georgia. Yes. And this is a correction um, from Christian uh, from the comment on our website. Deng Lin Lin didn't miss out on the all around by the two per country rule. She came in sixth in the final, which I do remember, right after Sandra's Basha and just ahead of Hang Quishwang. Um, as a huge Deng Lin Lin fan, I store these facts. Yao Yunnan missed out um, after poor scores on everything except bars, which is absolutely correct. Uh, for the record, the only athletes who missed out on finals due to the two per country rule were Jordan Weber, Anastasia Krishna, Jennifer Pinches, and Yao Yunnan. Is, yeah, we appreciate corrections. So this is a feature. <laughs> that I impulsively decided we were going to do only because like tweets just started cracking me up so much. So I'm going to combine two weeks. Our first, um, not annual weekly, uh, tweet of the week winner is Briley Casanova, who is a Michigan gymnast used to compete at WOCA. Um, she's got myself a date tonight. His name is Jim Nastics Hart. That's my humor. <laughs> That's all me right there. Um, we are nerds of the same soul, Riley Casanova and myself. Okay, our second tweet of the week of this past week goes to Talia Shirelli of the Canadian national team. She also uh, works out out of breast gyms. Her tweet is, I look like a deformed rotisserie chicken when I'm stretching. Her Whoa. humor is... What? What? Well, I... It's true. You think about it for a second, and yeah, gymnast stretching do look like deformed rotisserie chickens, like in middle splits, you know? Yes, okay. that's the first yeah. thing I thought in middle splits. Yeah. Now we are all going to think that every time um, we see a gymnast stretching. If, if you choose to follow any gymnast on Twitter, um, Talia is one of my favorite tweeters. She's just got a very dry sense of humor. She's super relatable. She is at um, T-A-L-I-A-C-H-I. Uh, she's just definitely worth following. I've, she cracks me up all the time. But um, those will be our first two tweet of the weeks, and then we will keep note of anything hilarious and stand out like deformed rotisserie chicken stretching. 
So one thing that I want to add that um, we've actually, so we've had a lot of foreign gymnasts on and foreign broadcasters on, Jenny Pinches and um, Kyle Schufelt, and I want to mention that there is a way for you to watch these broadcasts um, even if you're in the U.S., and I am just providing information because I believe in intellectual freedom and I'm a, a proponent of such. I am not proposing copyright violations. I am not proposing you do anything illegal. I am just giving you information and what you do with it is your own. So there is something called a VPN which is a virtual private network um, and you can use these to watch broadcast from other countries so perhaps it's not provided in your country and uh, you've asked many times and offered to pay for it but still not provided and you really want to hear Mitch Finner and his commentary on the <laughs> Olympics or you really want to watch the um, Canadian broadcast so you can hear Kyle Schufelt. Um so there is a um, it's not software it's like an app it's called Tunnel Bear um, this is a VPN. It's super easy to use. You can download it on your browser. So that's like your Chrome or Safari or Explorer, whatever you use. Or you can download the app and put it on your phone. And um, nothing will happen. You just turn it on. Um, and when it is activated, it allows you to access broadcasts, um, say the BBC or something in another country. Um, so... If you wanted to watch something, you could use something like Tunnel Bear. Um, but remember, you just turn it on and off when you want to use it, and then it allows you access. Um, so there's that little piece of information for you in case you want to use something like that, and I'll put a link up um, for you guys to check out. This episode is brought to you by Elite Sports Band. EliteSportsBand.com. We've got your back. Visit EliteSportsBand.com, that's sports with a Z, and save $5 on your next purchase with the code GYMCAST. That's going to do it for us this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. And remember that you can support the show by checking out Tumble Tracks 25th Anniversary um, stuff on YouTube. There are many uh, tributes to them. You can rate us on iTunes or um, write a review about the show on iTunes. And, of course, you can download the Stitcher app and listen to us from there. You can use the shop on our website. And we love, love, love your feedback. Um, so please send us an email at jimcastic at gmail.com or you can leave us a message by calling 415-800-3191 or you can leave us a message on Skype. Um, our username is jimcasticpodcast. And until next week, I am Jessica from mastersgymnastics.com and we have just updated our class map to um, include Australia, Singapore, and Spain. I'm Blythe from the Gymnastics Examiner, and I'll be at the American Cup this week covering podium training and the competition, as well as the Nostiliukin Cup. So please swing by the Gymnastics Examiner. We'll be doing some quick hits and just uh, general knowledge gathering and some interviews. So would love it if you stop by. I am Spanny Tampson from Spanny's Big Fake Smile. Last week, we did a recap of what I thought was an anti-drug PSA, but it turns out it was an episode of a show from the 70s called Quincy Medical Examiner about the dangers of overdosing on drugs and then competing in gymnastics. <laughs> Check it out. And I'm Uncle Tim from Uncle Tim Talks Men's Gym, and... 
around Thursday of this week, I will be putting up an American Cup drinking game so that you can play it while you watch NBC's coverage of the meet. Thanks, you guys. We will see you next week.